one amen. Anybody excited to be in the house of God today? All right. Got a couple, about three of you. I'm excited just for what God's doing in, in all of our lives. And I believe that as we move forward more and more and just seeking God in his perfect way. How many of you are after God's heart? Amen. I'm really just chasing after God in my life. I'm just trying to load my preaching up here. Give me a second. Um, my whole mindset for the last couple of months is just to really seek the Lord my God with all my heart. That everything I do would truly just honor him. That everything I do would be exactly what he would want of me. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you? Let's just pray. <clears throat> I want to thank all of you who came out yesterday to the gathering of the tribes. <laughs> Amen. Had an awesome time. All of our citywide groupies. God be praised. <laughs> we thank God for you guys. We love you guys so much for coming out to support not just us, but the event, which was bigger than us. The event was more important than we were. And I want to thank God for that. We're in week two of a long series that I have not decided how long it will be, but it'll be long, A fearless love. Come on, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're humbled by your presence, and we ask you that you would just have your way, open our hearts, Father, speak to our spirits, speak to our inner man, God, speak to us now as we've humbled ourselves, we've taken up this time, God, and we come to your house to receive, to partake, not to spectate, God, but to produce worship. And as we did that, God, you worked in our hearts and hearts and minds were open. We come against every spiritual attack in this place right now. We come against every spirit of distraction. We come against every worried thought right now. We come against every work of the enemy designed to try and hinder us from receiving the blessing you have for us right now. Father God, take control of our hearts and our minds. God, take control of our spirits. Lord, have your way in this place today. We want your glory to be shown in this place, God. We want lives to receive your word and to be changed, God. We want people to understand who you are, not because of what we've done, but because of what you do. Not because we were singing songs about you, but because you're going to touch their heart right this very moment. Come on, if you receive that, just say amen. amen. We're in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm in verse 5 of Romans 8, verse 5. I'm going to read just from verses 5 through 8. We're going to focus on that for the rest of the day. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance, somebody say accordance, with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot, somebody say cannot, please God. Cannot please God. We're talking about fearless love. I want to look at everything we read today through the lens of God's immense, insurmountable, insurpassable love that he lavishes on us undeservingly. He loves us when we're horrible and when we're good. 
This verse, Romans 8, 5, it talks about having a mindset that is outside of God's will. It calls it a flesh mindset, a nature mindset. You know, when I think of having a mindset against God, I always view God as my father. And I think of the times where I did things that were really outside my dad's will. Have you ever done something that, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't that when dad, my dad never said I didn't love you. He never said stuff like, you know, I, I wish I never had you. That was mostly my mom. But I'm just kidding. My dad was more like, he would say stuff like, no, I'm just disappointed in you. And that would hurt so much more than fuerte. Anybody with me? Having your father tell you he was disappointed in you, if you had a good relationship with him, if you had a good dad, it was worse than having someone tell you they hated your guts. I remember when we were little, um, I was maybe about 10 years old, and uh, I had my cousin Gabi, he was living with us. And my brother and me, Gabby, and Ruben together was not a good mix. And uh, many times we shared a bedroom either because I was scared or because they just, whatever reason, we were in the same bedroom. One day, about 12.30 in the afternoon, I remember the time, it was like about 12.30 in the afternoon. I don't remember why we were in the room. Chances are we were punished. And uh, at that time, my brother had a, a, it's just a small condition and the doctor knew we were poor. And so he gave us a bunch of medicinal cream for my brother. Little samples, hundreds of little samples. And uh, in the course of being punished, he was just medicating his infected area. And uh, it was his foot. He's putting his cream on. And at some point, I don't know how it started. I don't know who did it. I don't know what happened. But somebody opened the window, took a Q-tip, put some of the cream on it, and flicked it at the house next door. And what happened next was supernatural. It was amazing what happened next. What happened next was that that Q-tip stuck to that house. You had me, 10 years old, Reuben, 12 years old, Gabriel, about 15 years old. Not a good mix. We ran to the bathroom and got the 500 pack of Q-tip. And we just flicked Q-tips for hours. Flipped. If I'm not mistaken, we went to the other room, to the other window, because this side of the house had too many Q-tips stuck on it. We were sitting there flicking Q-tips with medicinal cream that was oil-based onto this greenhouse next door. Forever. And we're sitting there just shooting the breeze. <laughs> Look at that one. Look at this one. By the end of it, there was dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens of Q-tips blanketing the side of this house. It was awesome. It looked like it was decorated for Christmas. It was icicles. It was just beautiful. It was a work of art that lasted for years because that oil-based cream stained the side of that house for close to 10 years. I think recently, I went over there maybe about five years ago when I was, last time I was there, and you can still see some faint hints of where it was at. Those are one of the moments my dad was not happy about the course of my life. And we're talking about those moments today, moments where God's not happy with the course of your life. I remember we had these kids next door that we just did not like. Um, me and Ruben did not like these kids, and me and Ruben... We were kind of, um, we were mean when we were kids, I mean. So what we did was these kids really upset us, and they were just, had this big dog named Lobo. 
And uh, we took, my father at that time also, he delivered newspapers. And so we took some of the Connecticut Post newspaper bags, the big long ones you just, you know what I'm talking about? Those green bags now. And we put Lobo's poop in there with water. Remember this, Ruben? We left it in the sun. And when we saw those kids, my dad was not happy about the course of my life at that time. I remember me, my brother, and I believe you were there a couple times, we've done it. We used to deliver newspapers with my father. He was working like three jobs, and one of them was newspapers. And so we would go with him to deliver newspapers in the morning. And we used to end up at the last stop was Twin Towers by Captain's Cove. And my dad did something pretty not smart, which was he let us deliver through that building, you know, on certain levels by ourselves. And what we would do is like, you know, six in the morning at this old folks' home, and we would take the papers, put them at the doors, you know, go to the end of the hallway, one person in the middle, open the elevator, hold it, and we'd run down the hallway, bang on every door. Just bang, 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 bang. Those were the days. Yeah, I wasn't popular in that building. Another moment, my dad probably wasn't happy with the choices in my life. Anybody get my point today? He wasn't happy with where, what I was doing, but at no point, did my father ever love me less? At no point did he ever, you know, not want to care for me. At no point did he want the worst for me. Is anybody here with me today? It was, you know, when I got to about 14 to 15 years old, I hated my dad. He, he was the worst person in the world. And he really, in actuality, wasn't. But through my eyes, when I had a certain thought process, there was no... Looking around at everybody in this room probably went through that teenage year, and some of you are probably in that teenage phase where mom and dad just don't understand and you hated them. Anybody here with me today? Let the church say amen. Young ladies, young ladies, y'all here today? Mom does not understand. It's 2012, she's old school. Dad doesn't understand. We're like 15, going on 32, as if we have life experience. In this time, I treated my dad like dirt. I mean, I would cuss at him. We swore. We fought. I would just, you know, I mean, I did everything but physically assaulted because he would have beat the mess out of me. I didn't go that far. But, you know, even through that phase, he loved me unconditionally. And he had, even sometimes, he knew I was mad at him. And, you know, he would just walk by. I love you. I'm like, I hate you. And he would just laugh and walk away. He wasn't afraid of what I would say to him. He wasn't afraid of how I would react to him. He wasn't afraid of what I would do to him. He was not afraid to love me through anything and through everything. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story of me just doing dumb, ignorant, dumb, and more ignorant stuff. And my dad would just look at me and be like, man, you are crazy. From kindergarten, I mean, just... I was a bully. It just you couldn't play with my building blocks, and I would get sent to the office all the time. The principal called my dad one day and complained about me, and I got picked up. And then my mom, I said, you know, I said, Mom, they keep on picking at me in school, and this and that. And she, they, they keep on telling me I'm supposed to be a pastor's son. And then she said, well, tell him to take after your mother, and she's the devil. So, so next day, I go to school, and I got pulled into the office, like, again. And Mrs. Schmidt, my, my, my principal, she's just sitting, this nice old lady, 
but she's a battle axe. I mean, she would not take no garbage. She's just an old sergeant, and she's just like, you know, uh, you're a pastor's son. Like, well, I take after my mother, and she's the devil. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> she, was, oh! she called my parents up, and I got in trouble by my parents for saying what I just, I don't know. Life is full of dumb choices. Anybody have dumb choices? How many of you have choices that put you outside of God's will? Uh, choices that um, aren't well for your, your soul, your spirit. It says here in Romans 8, 5, that those who live according to the flesh, it's not talking about skin, it's talking about a mindset that is adverse to God. But the flesh is talking about a mindset that does not honor God. When we live according to the flesh, we live opposite to God's will. God is our heavenly father, and living in the flesh means that we are in opposition to the heaven's desire for us. The flesh is a mindset that fights God and it does not desire to do what God wants. When we read flesh throughout the Bible, it's talking about that mindset. It's a sinful life. If you ever read in the scripture, the flesh, it's talking about sin. It's talking about just uh, an adversity to God. If you live a fleshly life, it means you live a sinful life and it does not bother you. See, some of you could be living in church and still living a sinful fleshly life, meaning that you still sin and it doesn't bother you. If you can still do things you used to do before and it really doesn't bother you, I'm not talking about that moment of, oh, shouldn't have done that, shucks. But my God's a forgiving God and I'm just going to ask him to forgive me and all is well. I'm not talking about that. That's, that's a sinful mindset, a mindset of, of frustrating God's grace and saying, well, because God will forgive me, because Jesus did take all the punishment for my sin, do what I want. It's covered. That's like walking around with a credit card, swiping, swiping, and never making a payment to it. You have to understand that you should live a life that is pleasurable and pleasing to God, not a mindset that says, I'll do whatever I want when I want to. Anybody here with me today? Scripture declares to us that people who live according to the flesh mindset sets their minds on sinful things. And so what happens, the problem is, you might come to church, you might, you know, love God, but if you have sinful things in your mind, and that's what your mind is set on, what's going to happen is that you will only think about sinful things. You will only desire to do sinful things. Your idea of a good Friday night might be bar hopping, but you ask your brother and sister in the Lord, and their idea of a good night is just hanging out with some brothers and sisters, breaking some bread, and maybe catching a movie. But you were thinking about, you know, just a one-night stand and seven bars. That might be a little, you know, maybe it's not just too exaggerated. Maybe that's exactly what it is. Who knows? But, but the point I'm making is that your mind should not be fixated on sinful things. That's a fleshly mindset. It's a mindset that's outside of Father God's will. It's a mindset that does not please God. If your first response is to cut someone out, that mindset does not please God. If your response is not to forgive and to love someone when they hurt you, it's a mindset that is against God. If your mind tells you to, to go sin, to go smoke, to go do whatever, when things get tough, that's a mindset against God. If you always want to give up when things get tough, that's a flesh mindset against God. Somebody say against God. The scripture says that those who set their minds on sinful things desire sinful things. Many times as a child I set my 
mind against my parents or maybe you set your mind against your father or against your mother in this generation there's a total lack of respect for mothers and fathers man if I would have done half the stuff that these kids do nowadays my father would have backhanded me into the middle of next week there was no plan it wasn't until I got to about 15, 16 I started acting reckless and, and went out still get slapped don't think because I, I, I had crazy ears, I didn't get mine. We got it. But these kids nowadays have no respect for parents. And the problem and the reason is, is because the parents before them had no concept of what it was to actually, uh, you know, fight the sinful flesh. And so because the, think about this, the church before, all they taught was certain things. They didn't teach the godly love and respect you should give to God and so you have the generation of hippies and all them who do whatever you want treat people however you want do it with love but it's human love not godly love and human love doesn't do anything and so when they have their kids oh let them do whatever they want it's what I did when I was a kid which don't make it right when I was a kid I smoked a lot of weed am I going to have my kids smoke weed? no some of y'all might have done crazy stuff. Maybe you did crack when you were a kid. Maybe you popped ecstasy. But because you did it as a kid, it's okay, little Susan. Go pop that ecstasy. Daddy did it. But that's what this generation did. And now you have a generation of kids who now have kids who had kids and don't know how to raise them. Because grandma still lets the kid do whatever they want. A real grandma don't let kids do whatever they want. That, I hear grandmas, well, that's my job. To spoil them, no, it's not. Your job is to fill the gaps that mommy and daddy can't do because they're too irresponsible. It's got nothing to do. It's got nothing to do with being that spoiling person. If grandma lets your kids do whatever you want, she's part of that generation who probably might have raised you wrong. I'll leave it at that. They have a mindset that is against authority. They have a mindset that is against God. Somebody say against God. It says right there, those who live according to the flesh desire the things of this flesh. If, imagine this. How, how can someone who doesn't respect a physical, visible mother or father, how can they respect an invisible, almighty God? How can you have an honor for him? So many times our hearts were set against God. We swore at him. We used his name in vain. We walked away from God. How many of you walked away from his will? You knew it time after time. We hurled insults at him. When something went wrong, we put him to blame like a typical child who doesn't understand mommy and daddy's mindset. Everything was God's fault. And when it was working, it was great. When you had vacation, it was great. When you had mom and dad buy that toy, it was great. But the moment mom and dad had things go tough, that you thought they didn't love you because they couldn't buy you the newest sneakers or whatever it was. You thought mom didn't love you because she loved your sister or your brother more. Whatever it was that was in your mind. And now we treat God that same exact way. When something goes wrong, God's wrong. Oh, I'm going to leave God's will. This is getting too tough. Oh, this is too hard. Oh, serving God is just too rough. That's real life. Going to work every day is tough. You don't quit that, do you? Some people do. <laughs> That's just life. How many times have you walked away from God? Sin all day knowing he loved you. Living your life however you please. 
knowing his son died on died for you spitting on the sacrifice of Jesus overlooked the miracles and the wonders he worked for you overlooked all the things he did when you first come to Christ I'm telling you everything is miraculous when you first come to God you're like oh my God look at this oh my God look at that oh my God I saw this God did this for me I got a check in the mail I got a raise at work oh my gas lasted longer in the car I was on E it was a miracle oh my God and the moment you confront it with your first like you know task your first you know struggle as a Christian you're just like oh this is too much I don't, Chris, Chris, Christianity is not a slip and slide. It's like a real walk you take with God. But some of us treat it like a slip and slide. We can just go whenever we want and have some fun. No. Christianity is a real sincere walk with God that takes real mature adults. And young, young people, it takes mature young people to walk with God and not live under the influence of others. Is anybody here with me today? The mindset that is against God has no respect for the will of God in your lives and people around them. Let me tell you something. People who have a mindset of sin will be the ones in church who won't mind going out and drinking with you, going out to the club, sipping with you, going out to the lounge and doing this with you because they have a mindset that is against God. And people who can't respect God's will for their life sure as heck won't respect God's will for your life. Young lady, if that man desires to sleep with you while you're still in church, he got no desire for your life. Private sin leads to a public hell. Let me tell you. If he can't respect you, how can he respect himself? If he don't respect himself, he surely ain't going to respect you. I'm telling you, understand this. Walking outside of God's will isn't worth it. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. For a season, but seasons come, seasons go. Seasons come, seasons go. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. The mindset against God, it does not care to lead you into sin. It does not care if it has to drag you down with it. People with the mindset against God are like parasites. They come to you because they know you're strong in Christ, and they suck the life out of you. And they take all the scripture and all the encouragement you've been reading, because they have it. And then, and then after that, when you're weak, well, let's, go to the, let's go get a drink. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And they'll drag you in slowly but surely. A mindset against God. That word, um, the King James Version declares, it says declares that they have minds on lustful desires. It's the Greek word phronio. This word is defined in the following capacity. To exercise the mind, entertain sentiments or opinions by implication. It means to be disposed to things, to be interested in something. And to set your affection, to be in love, to be in one mind with something. Put all that together. The person living in the flesh is exercising their mind to have affectionate sentiments towards sin, to be mentally disposed towards sinning, and they set their affections towards a sinful lifestyle no matter what God has to say about it. They sin carelessly. They become one with sin. They're unified in their minds with sin. And they continually take advantage of God's amazing love. So many times we sin outside of God's will. We, we forget all about God's fearless love. We forget all about God's love for us. We forget all about God's plan for you. You forget all about that God has for you. When things get bad, how many of you have ever said, God, there's got to be more to life than this, God? There's got to be more than this. How many of you have been to that point where you said, God, there's got to be more than this? 
than just this job, than just this life, this emptiness, this loneliness. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a very famous scripture. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and to give you hope. That's God's plan for you. And God expressed to the prophet Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, I have a plan for you. But I, I, I think outside the box and I realize that if God was telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I have a plan for you, that means what he's really saying is, Jeremiah, the plan that Satan has for you, it's not as good as my plan. For I know the plans that I have for you. And God's saying, listen, if I got a plan for you, you better believe Satan has a plan for you. You're not falling into sin by just by just mistake, it's by Satan's design. You're not slipping and falling in and out of God's will because things are tough. It's Satan's design for your life. And so God says, listen, I see his plan, but I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans to prosper you, to give you hope, to give you a future, to give you peace. God's plan for you is great. You know, as a teen, I could care less about what my dad thought about what I did. Certainly not where my life was headed because I was filled with anger. And listen to this, I was drunk on rebellion. I couldn't think straight. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It is the sin of divination. I've told you before, the Greek word for witchcraft is the word pharmakia, and it's where we derive the word, the English word pharmacy. And what the point I'm getting at is, is the definition of that word. It means to be under a spell. And so when you're, when you're dealing with rebellion against God, which is what the flesh mindset is, it means you've been tainted and you are drunk and you're high in the spiritual against God. Y'all not ready for this today. I was just too deep. I just woke up a little while ago, Pastor. Don't preach this now. Got a little hangover? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you getting my point today? To be in rebellion against God, it means that your mind has been poisoned. There's something coursing through your veins. It's like, it's like when you're in pain, you pop your Vicodin, your Percocet, your Oxycodones, and, and, you, and you feel good because the, the, the medicine doesn't block the pain receptors. But when you're under the spirit of rebellion, you don't get this. Satan has blocked your ability to feel convicted about sin and you have a depraved mind where you walk against God's will. You don't care about what God has for you and you say, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want. My dad told me the theme song of hell is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Rebellion is a, is a sickness in the body of Christ. I didn't care what my dad desired for my life. I didn't care about what he wanted for me. I didn't care about what he saw in me. He would tell me, oh, I see something special. I see God's anointing on you. And now pretty much, I don't care what you got to say. I don't care what you want for me. I want to live my life the way I desire. I don't want to be doing church stuff. I'm tired of church. I hated church. I came to church every Sunday. And I hated church every Sunday. Went to church eight days a week. Figure that one out hated church by the time I was a teenager especially when we lost the building on State Street we had to meet back in the house we lost almost all of our members except save 15 of them meeting in the house at the time that I was homeschooled I told you before I had my school my house and my church in the same location I hated it I resented it I couldn't even be sick because church was downstairs I'm not feeling well today dad well 
It's just downstairs. Go play the piano and then go back up to bed. You could never get away from me. And I began to resent God. I began to resent everything about his, his will for my life. And I had known that scripture, that he had a plan for me. I had known that for all my life. But I got to a point where I didn't care about his plan for me. Because I was drunk with rebellion. And Satan had been planting seeds in my heart. For you, that might describe your relationship with God. That you didn't care about what he had planned for you. Likewise, the way I didn't care about what my dad desired for my life. Maybe you don't care about what God's plan is for you. Maybe you don't care that God desires to use you. Maybe you don't care that God has a purpose for you. Maybe you don't care that God has restoration for you. Maybe you don't care that God has prosperity for you. Maybe you don't care that God has a supernatural, abundant life planned for you. Why do we find it so hard to live in God's love? Why is it so hard to live in God's will for your life? Why is it so hard to say, God, I know you have something great for me, and I'm choosing to live in it. I'm choosing to live in it. And one of the major reasons why you cannot do that is because often you think more of yourself than you do of God. And you think that you can do a better job planning your life than God can. You think your mind is better than God's. You think that you have it all put together. You're like knowing it all. You just know everything about everything. Well, I came to tell somebody today, God knows you better than yourself. And the plan you have for your life pales in comparison to the plan of a God who is so great and so mighty and so wonderful. If he could stitch the entire universe together, if he can take every piece of your DNA and he can make it right itself out in the course of your life, if he can put you together in your mother's womb, I bet you he can put a life for you together that you could not comprehend, that you would not deserve, that you don't even, you didn't even deserve to have it. But he says, you know what, I'm giving it to you because I love you. That's fearless love that God says, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how you're acting, I love you and I want to give you a life. We find it hard to live in that God's love. Realize even when you reject God and his love, it's still right there. And he still loves you. The way a father, a true father, loves a child even after they, 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 they disrespect them. Sometimes you start hating God because God had to discipline you. You know, I realize now that when I, see when I was a kid, I got disciplined a lot. I got disciplined a lot. I got hit a lot. I got popped a lot, I got on punishment a lot, everything just a lot. Me and my brothers and sisters, sometimes we all got on punishment together. Because we were just like, always on punishment. And I remember one of my aunts, I believe it was Rose, I would go to her house and I would see her disciplining her kids. And I always thank God that my dad never disciplined me how she did. She was one of those moms come here you know Manny would walk up to her she'd put him over her knee belt bang 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 now give me a hug give you a hug give you now hug no I'm sitting in the corner like, mm -mm. my dad's famous line you know what hurts me more than it hurts you I never comprehended that until about you know recently how does you beat me hurt you? How does, how, how does that work? How does that work? That me getting punished 
hurts you more than me and I'm receiving it. But I realize now what he was saying was your actions hurt me. And it hurts me to see you hurt you. And it hurts me to have to hit you. But I understand that by doing this to you, it will better your mind as you grow older. And so I realized that maybe you don't like God's punishment, God's will over your life. And you don't like how God had to discipline you. You don't like how God had to put you in check. But God is saying, listen, it hurts me more than it hurts you to watch you live a sinful life. And potentially after the fall of eternity under damnation because you couldn't get together. It hurts me more than it hurts you. Are you, are you with me today? In all your mistakes, in all your failures... Think of the worst thing you've ever done. Don't say it out loud. I don't want nobody to judge you. I want you to think about that, right? The worst thing you've ever done. Think about the most raunchy, craziest, just the most sinful thing you've ever done. And I have news for you. In that moment of that sin that you committed, he never loved you more. He never loved you more. He never loved you less. You can't lessen his love. You can't greaten his love. The moment you were born, God loved you more than the moment you're going to die. He loved you the same throughout your entire life. And there's nothing you could ever do about it. The heart of God is so, is so huge and so great that no matter what you did, he doesn't love you less. The Bible says in the book of Jude that when the angels that fell from heaven under Satan's rule, that when Jesus died, the Bible says he went and preached to them because his heart broke for his creation that was damned. He offered them salvation. He preached to them. He spoke to them. Do you not think the people who fall into damnation that the heavenly father doesn't love them too? We all know someone who didn't make it. We all know somebody. God still loves them right now. He didn't want that to happen to them, but he still loves them in the midst of it all. Paul says, those who live by the Spirit, their minds are set on spiritual things. These are individuals who serve God. It does not make them perfect. They're not perfect. No one's perfect, but they serve God. And while they serve God, their heart is set on godly things. They desire godly things. God's love for you is eternal. It's the entire chapter 8 of Romans in doctrine. It's really called eternal security. Eternal. It ends. It ends in that verse where we'll get to in a couple weeks where Paul says, but I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. There is nothing. Does that mean we keep on sinning? No. By, by no means does it mean that we just go live our lives the way we desire. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? The wages of sin. All that sin can repay you for your investment of time into it is death. That's it. Nothing else. That's all that sin can get you. That's all that sin can do for you. God loves a sinner. God hates the sin. God is so righteous and so holy that you could never enter his presence with sin or you would die. And so for this reason, he sent Jesus as a payment for your sin. And all you have to do is accept Christ as your Savior. Accept that sacrifice that he made. And then God begins to look at you. And he sees Christ in you. I don't, I don't understand. God never got soft on sin. 
His stance on it just changed. Because instead of singing in you, he saw it in his son. God never got saw. He did not lower the standards. Rather, he raised the bar so you could be accepted. I don't, I don't, I don't think you get this. He, he, he changed the game completely for you. He had to bring in a whole new covenant just so that you could be saved. Just so that you can be viewed as the righteousness of God. Don't fool yourself thinking God does not care about sin. For Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 says this. You make God tired with all of you talk. And you say how do we tire God out? By saying God loves sinners and sin alike. God loves all. And by also by saying judgment, God's too nice to be a judge. The Bible says in the message version, Malachi 2.17, that God does not love the sinner and the sinner alike, and that we make God tired of saying, well, he loves us, so what does it matter what I'm doing? God's too nice to judge me. God's too nice to be a judge. God is not Mother Teresa. He's not some sweet little old person. He's not some just little nice guy. He's a righteous fearsome, magnificent king. He is a man of war. He is a judge. He is an awesome wonder. He is something supernatural. You can't come up to him and approach him as if he's just nothing. He's not just going to pet you. He's not just going to nick you. Oh, it's all right. No, sometimes he has to bring heaven down on you so you don't have to go to hell. Sometimes he has to bring judgment upon your life in order that you might be saved. Understand, God is not some little nun in a convent. He's like Braveheart. He's like, he's like William Wallace. He's like this awesome, wonderful warrior. He's got ferociousness written all over him. He is a warrior. He is a battle-scarred person. He's real. He's done, he, he fought the angels. He done fought this. He done fought that. He's fought you every morning. This God you serve, understand, he is magnificent. He is fearsome. He is wonderful. He is worthy to be respected. He is worthy to be loved. But in the midst of all this, this is the God that David describes him as he breathes out stars. Job describes him as the creator who laid down the measurements for the universe and for the galaxies. And if Job tells the word, Job tells us that God put the earth into motion. Job tells us that God suspended the earth on nothing. Job tells us that God laid down the gravitational pattern to the moon. And God, Job tells us how great and wonderful God is. And this is the God who put together all of the universe. He put together everything you see. Every good idea you've ever had, it came from God. <laughs> he did all this. In the midst of all that, he's never loved you more than he loves you right now. Ain't nothing like a father who's too busy for his kids. And I can't stand kids who are too busy for their father. Because losing my father, I saw the value in him more so while he was gone than when I had him with me. Ain't nothing like a father who's too busy building his career and, and building his economical status and he forgets to be a father. I'm tired of seeing pastors reject their sons because they're doing God's work. Family comes first. I'm tired of seeing men of God and ministers and, and their families falling apart because they could not be a father because they wanted to father a generation of pastors rather than father two sons that were in your household. Taking care of a daughter that was in your household. And you, because parents forget their sons and fathers forget their children, 
because they're too busy. God is never too busy to father you. God's never too busy to love you. God's never too busy. God's never too busy. Maybe you're the child who doesn't give time to their father. I'll tell you one thing. One day that opportunity to give time to God will be gone. And you're going to wish you made that opportunity. Because losing my father, there were so many things left unsaid, so many things left undone, so many things just like out there that I wish I could have reconciled with him. I wish I could have said to him, I only thank God that my last words to him were I love you. I'll see you later. And I've made every intention in my life, and I'm living my life in a capacity where I'm going to see him later. And so my question to you is maybe you're the person who's not giving this father enough time. Maybe you're not giving that father what he deserves of you. Maybe your heart, you love God, you know about God, but you're not living for God. You have pride in you. You have hurt in you. You have envy in you. You have jealousy in you. And you just can't seem to love that God because this father down here done hurt you. And now you don't got time for this father. Let me tell you, this father in heaven, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never turn his back on you. Like he told Joshua, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. In your sin, he was with you. In your misery, he was with you. The promise of God is that he would never leave you. He didn't say anything about you leaving him. If you think God's with you while you're out there sinning, God's not with you. You done left God. Is anybody here with me this early afternoon? I'm almost done. See, you don't understand the, the need to understand God. If you've never experienced the hatred of Satan, how can you appreciate God's love? You're so mad that God's putting you to things in your life. You're so tired of hard times. But God saw that if you never experienced the brokenness of Satan, you could never appreciate the wholeness that he desired for you. If you never experienced the poverty of Satan, how can you experience the richness of God? God, in his mercy, discipline you so that in order that he might help you understand his will is better for you. God cares about you and God loves you. And in verse 8, Romans, um, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 8, it declares this, that those who have a mindset against God cannot please God. You cannot please God living sinfully. You cannot please your Heavenly Father. You cannot please Him. I got to a point in my life where I desired to please my dad. Talking about my, my, my biological father. I got to a point at about 19, 20 years old. I had that epiphany that I, I needed my dad in my life. He, he should be my friend. And me and my dad ended up being the best of friends. We had a great relationship. We would stay up 2 or 3 in the morning just hanging out, laughing cracking jokes and maybe like I said last week maybe you don't know that what that feels like because you didn't have a good dad but you see when I finally came around to my senses my dad never came back and said I told you so stupid son that's not how it went when I came around to my senses he just began to love me like he always did we hung out we talked we cracked jokes and for the last uh, three four years of his life we had the best relationship I ever had with my dad. I would preach when he was sick. I would preach for him on Sunday mornings and I would take the CD home and I would run home and have him listen to it and get his approval because having the approval of a father is necessary. For a child, for a young boy to grow up to be a man, he needs the validation of a father. So you have so many kids in the streets acting up, doing drugs, doing this, and in gangs to accept 
to be accepted rather or to get validation from people but no a young girl needs a father to tell her she's a woman tell her to respect herself a young boy needs a father to tell him that he's a man show him how to live his life and for the last three years four years of his life I have that and it was some of the best years of my life you may say pastor what's your point what I'm trying to tell you is when I became I began to honor my father I began to give my father the respect he deserves. I began to live according to his will and God's will. Man, God opened up heaven over me. I was so blessed. I could not contain it. And my life was never better. I was never happier. We ended up being the best of friends. We ended up being the best of friends. And my life never looked better because I accepted my father's unconditional love. Because I said, you know what, man, there's nothing I could possibly do to beat you so I might as well join you. Your love was too, his love for me was greater than my hatred for him. His love for me is greater than my ability to be disrespectful and he loved me through it, he loved me no matter what. He, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And God's the same way. No matter how much you throw at him, he's gonna love you through it. You're never gonna win. God's gonna love you while you're in hell. You're never gonna win. You're never gonna win. Don't you realize you're fighting a war that you cannot win? You're in a battle that you have no chance of winning because his love will remain. His love remains. Come on, bow your heads with me. His love remains. His love is greater than any, anything you could ever do, ever say. God's love remains. And if you walk in a mindset that is against God, if you walk in that mindset against God, you cannot please him. You cannot please him. Come on, if I can have my ministers come to the front. Why don't you just stand with me right now? Just stand with me. I don't want to drag this out. I don't want to drag this out. Today, would you stand with me? Come on, come on, come on. Bow your heads right now. I just feel there's some people just not dealing with God the way he would desire for you to deal with not accepting God in that love. I didn't have to call this man for He's coming forward already. Come on. Is there anybody else just saying, man, I want to accept God's love? Is there anybody, you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're just dealing and struggling in your heart. Come on up. Come on up. The altar is open for you. You need prayer? Come on. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time. Come on. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. Maybe you don't know God as your Savior. Come on. If that's who you're coming, if I have the band, come on up. Let's go. People making a decision for God today. Would you pray with some of these, Janet? Would you pray with some of these ladies? Marie, could you come pray with some of these people for me, please? If I can have the leadership team, Carlos, pray with Brother Marcos right there. Lift them up in prayer. Come on, they're still coming. They're still coming. You're saying, you know, I don't know God the way I should. I mean, there's a young lady here today, and God's trying to tell you, you know what? It's time that you came on board. It's time you came on board and God said, I've been loving you for a long time. I've been trying to show you my mercy, my grace, and I need you to accept it right now. Come on. If you're in your seat, just bow your heads. Don't look around us. Don't spectate. Come on, there's some young adults in this place and God's saying, I love you with an everlasting love. I don't care what man has said about you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I loved you with an everlasting love. Oh, Heavenly Father, just begin to minister amongst our hearts. Just begin to work in the midst of our people today. Holy Spirit, come on, if you're saved and you're...
You're experiencing that love. I want to ask you to lift your hands and begin to create an atmosphere. Saying, you know what? I want God to love on these people. I wish that God's love would just begin to manifest in their life. I wish that God's love would begin to just like cry out to them from the deepest parts of their soul. I've been running for too long. I've been fighting this, but yet God is calling me. I've been going left. I've been going right. I went north. I went south, east, and west. But everywhere I went, his love met me there right in the middle of my sin, right in my moment of need. His love met me right there. And there was nothing that I could do to outrun his love. Come on, do you know his love? Lift your hands as high as you can. There's nothing that I could do to outrun his love. There's nothing that I could do to outrun the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty, mighty God that I serve. There's just nothing I could do because he loves me through it all. Come on, is there anybody today, you're you're still in your seat, you're saying, man, I want that love. I want to live according to that love. I want to have a mind that pleases God. A sinful mind cannot please him. Only the mind of God, only the mind of God, a mind led by the Spirit of the living God. Come on, I feel his anointing in this place right now. Come on, that's right. If you're in your seat, just lift your hand, begin to pray. Come on, if you speak in tongues, if you begin to speak in tongues right now, I feel an outpouring about to happen right now. I feel just a breakthrough about to shake the place right now. Let's begin to lift your hand and say, God, here I am. I'm willing. I'm in, I'm in accord. I'm in one accord. Come on. This is beautiful. Every, every head is bowed. Every eye is closed right now. We're all praying. Oh, man, God is about to just really get, it, get us in one mindset right now. Just begin to pray right now. Say, God, 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 talk to me. God's talking to somebody right now. My whole heart will
for the Lord in this place. Declaring right now. And I want you, if you accept what he's saying, I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to stand in victory. Not yet when I tell you. If you, if you really come in agreement, I want you to stand and lift your hands in victory. And God says this, I'm looking for this generation of believers who will serve me and love me with all of their heart. A generation who is not moved. A generation who will not be swayed. A generation who, who goes across international, interracial boundaries. God says, I'm looking to raise up a group of believers who will fight to the bitter end for my sake. I'm looking for a group of believers who will put their lives on the line for me. I'm looking for a group of believers who will say, I am here for you, God. I will not run. I'm here. I'm here to do your will. I'm here to live your life, the one you planned for me. I said, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking for people. I'm looking for a couple of people who will, who will go to the ends of the earth for me, to, who will raise heaven and earth. Come on, if that's who you're standing up in victory, say, you know what, God, I want to be a part of that, God. I want to be that one that you can change the entire city with, that you can move mountains in my voice, God. I want you forever, Lord. Come on, if you're accepting God's challenge in your life, come on, stand to your feet if that's you. You say, you know, I want God to use me. I'm standing up. I'm standing up for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to accept his extravagant love. I need to accept God's fearless love. Come on, if you're really accepting this, I want you to lift your hands. You're saying, I'll accept it, God. Come on, lift it back up. Lift it back up.
tell him with all your heart, I'm a believer.
Listen. If anybody is your first time here, this is Marie. If you just gave your